All right, we've done our homework now, right? Signed we've the done homework the homework. And did the homework. Excellent. Uh, hello, everyone. I'm Dan. I'm Carrie. I'm Patrick. And welcome to the 1955 Oscars. And our podcast is called... If I Ran the Oscars, where we take a look at one film that won an Academy Award per year, and we take a look at that particular awards category, as well as a few more to see just how quality this film maybe could have been, and... Uh, we've been kind of rolling high on our random number generation recently. Well, and I think that's part of the 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 fun of choosing the film for each of the podcasts because it is randomly selected. And then um, this week, episode three, we, we a- I think we thoroughly enjoyed this film today. We accidentally stumbled upon On the Waterfront. Now, last week... Uh, you'll remember we watched From Here to Eternity, a movie that got eight Academy Awards. Uh, this week, we watched On the Waterfront, a movie that got eight Academy Awards. It was nominated for 12, I think. It was nominated for at least 12. I want to say 13. There numbers? were a lot of nominations for this 12. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's on lots of lists. Uh, the first two we watched, you'll remember, are in the Library of Congress's National Film Registry. Mm-hmm. This movie is too, obviously. Of course. It was on the first ballot. 1989, one of the first 25 films entered in the registry. Oh, okay. So not only is this a very good film, it was at the time they created the registry, one of the best films they had seen produced in America. Well, and important for the history of filmmaking. historically or aesthetically significant. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. at the time they picked the first 25 films and this was one of them. I kind of want to take, see if I can find the list of the first 25, see what kind of caliber we're looking at here. That might be your homework for next week. Maybe maybe you guys can start talking about stuff with this film and I'll have figured it out by then. Well, I, the thing that we are looking at in particular with this film is, remind me? Uh, screenplay. We, we're looking at, at the screenplay, screenplay to start. Because this was a uh, this was a, an original screenplay or it was based on a short story. Uh, that the man had written, and then he wrote from his own short story, expanded it into the screenplay. And I found that compared to the film we watched last week and the week before, that this one had, the dialogue was better. It was more believable. It seemed, though, the, the pacing of the dialogue was better. And that has a lot to do with who was doing the acting. Yeah. The mm-hmm. screenplay was not by the original short story guy. Oh, I thought it was. The I'm short mistaken. stories was it was a series of articles by Malcolm Johnson uh, entitled mm-hmm. "Crime on the Waterfront," uh, which won the Pulitzer for local reporting in '49. Oh. Okay. Uh, however, the screenplay is directly based on an original story by the writer. Oh, okay. Bug okay. Schulberg. Yes. But it takes right. inspiration from the real life articles in 1949. All right, because that was one of the. This is still a movie with the credits before the film begins, and it there was a credit for the screenplay writer, you know, based on a story by him. Yeah, because that's what did, I got mistaken. He did write us probably a short story, but mm-hmm. the the or like original idea credit goes back to uh, real life things. Real life does that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, this film had one man above the line, and he's the man that you put above the line. It's Marlon Brando. Mm-hmm. 
boy, this guy. Right. Well, he had done... Broadway. Well, and he did Streetcar Named Desire in film. Yep. And uh, got an Oscar nomination for that. Mm-hmm. There's a separate Wikipedia page for awards and nominations received by Marlon Brando. It's too big for his own Wikipedia page. Well, because he was larger than life. Yeah, but the 1950s... Mm-hmm. In 1951, he was nominated for Best Actor. Mm-hmm. In 1952, he was nominated for Best Actor. In 1953, he was nominated for Best Actor. In 1954, he won. Wow. This was a string of success that Mm -hmm. I think few actors could even hope to top. To even be in the discussion for Best Mm -hmm. Actor four years in a row. Well, do you think that that is a direct correlation to the fact that he was part... What is it called? The Actors Studio? The Mm -hmm. acting school based on the... Oh, the Russian guy's name. See, I... Stanislavski. So, was Marlon Brando, he was one of the first people to really break out and be using this method acting. I think so. And so, and therefore, and then because of that, because this method acting was not what had been used by mainstream big stars in Hollywood, that that's why this, you know, his performances were noteworthy. Because it was new, it was different, and it was, and it was good. It was he was delivering a quality product. Yep. Because we certainly saw that in his portrayal in this film, where he there were times when I really believed that he was, you know, a school dropout, and he was very simple minded, and that he was, you know, kind of a, you know, a guy that would take orders from the big brothers and the. And the heavies in the mob, but he was also very sensitive and caring, and he did that not by telling us that he was a caring, sensitive male. Yeah, he did it by showing us, and he, I totally believe that Marlon Brando was the character of Terry Malone. We were Ma- Malley. two or three months into it, or two or three minutes into it, and mm-hmm. and you could tell that this is somebody that this is a character that had. A lot of um, depth, shall there we say. There was nuance yeah. to his character. Right from the very start. Multifaceted. Compared yeah. to the other movies we've seen so far, and we don't have a huge sample size so far, mm-hmm. but this one had, it had uh, drama early, mm-hmm. and it established character goals early. It did. Which is something that Quiet Man kind of did. Here to Eternity really didn't do character goals. Mm-mm. I There are multiple main characters in that film that I can't determine a end goal that they wanted by the end of the story. Like the guy who was in charge of Lockup and right. he just beat prisoners. Like, that's not a goal. People. That's a personality. That's a lifestyle trait. choice. Yeah. Yeah. He's a prop with a cool stick. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. what he is. He doesn't have a goal. If his goal is to make people upset, that's not that's not going to do anything. That's not motivation. That's not motivation. That's not interesting. That doesn't make me care about the character either like mm-hmm. him or dislike him, except for the fact that he's beating up Frank Sinatra, and we like Frank Sinatra, so we don't want him to get beat up. <laughs> this movie, just about everyone who had a you know who was a named character had a goal that they attempted to see through to the end of the movie. Well, and I suppose that has a lot to do with the 
the art, the director of the film. The, the writer and the director working together because mm-hmm. the writer, it's half the writer's job to give actors a script that's believable. And then it's the director's job and the actor's job to take your believable script and portray it believably. Mm-hmm. Because you're going to have a really, really good actor and give them a crap script and they'll act as best they can. Jeremy Irons was in the Dungeons and Dragons movie. Mm-hmm. It's well, awful, and he's Jeremy Irons. Yeah. Right, right, but right. given given an opportunity, which I think was the director's deal, was given an opportunity, the actors can really put the character together. Oh yeah, you put, and that was evident in this movie, and that I think is why the directing was good. Is I mean, why you could see the directing was well done because the actors were given that freedom to to really portray it. I thought it was interesting that we watched the special um, feature. We got this and, film from and, the library, and it had the special feature And they spent a lot of time talking about four minutes of the film. The contender scene. Well, and, that's the, that's a very famous scene. Right. But but the, the quality of that scene was really very evident, and it was, mm-hmm. it was kind of fun to hear the different uh, individuals speaking about why was this good. Mm-hmm. Why did it work? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it had so much to do with the actors and their portrayal and, and how they made the characters real. Mm-hmm. Now, there's some other people in here that we need to pay attention to a little bit. Rod Steger, who played his brother, mm-hmm. uh, who is the one talking to him in the contender scene. Uh, also a established method actor, so mm-hmm. working well there. I. Uh, he was in the pawnbroker. He was the police chief with uh, with Sidney Poitier in In the Heat of the Night sure. in 1967, mm-hmm. for which he got the Academy Award for Best Actor. Oh. Which we might end up watching. Which we may end up watching because <laughs> it'll come around again. Mm-hmm. But he was also in Oklahoma. Yeah. Was he the um, the character that's the loner? In Maybe Oklahoma. the character that's I don't remember. You tell me the name, and I'll tell you uh, if, if, it's the, if it's the character. No, that's I'm the plot. Of. I need cast. Cast Judd Fry. Uh, yes, Judd. Judd. Mm-hmm. Nathan was curly, right? Na- yeah. Yes. Gotcha. <laughs> Daniel's brother Nathan hit, played Curly in the high school production of Oklahoma. That was a couple years ago. That was a, that was a while ago. I mm-hmm. uh, Carl Malden also in this. He played the. He's the priest. He in played this the film. priest. He's been in a few things, uh, such as A Streetcar Named Desire, right? for which he got Best Supporting Actor. On the Waterfront, Pollyanna, One-Eyed Jacks, uh, How the West Was Won, Patton. Right. Lots of... Yes, he's been around yep. and done some good work. Also appearing in this film... We, Catherine McGregor. <laughs> yeah, who you, you I, recognized. I had recognized her... And when I looked up her Wikipedia page, there was no photograph of her, which is odd. Mm-hmm. But it said that she had also been Mrs. Olson, Nellie Olson's mother on Little House on the Prairie. Which I do not remember. Sure enough. There which she is. is. You remember the strangest things. <laughs> I do. I remember oddball things. <laughs> uh, another male lead in this one, Lee J. Cobb, who played uh, Friendly Johnny. Mm-hmm. He's been in some things, too. Uh, he was nominated... For this film and for the brothers Karamazov. Ah, Karamazov. I Karamazov. I don't know how to he say it. He was uh, Willie Loman in the original Broadway of Death of a Salesman. Hmm. So he was also in Twelve Angry Men and The Exorcist. 
We've watched 12 Angry Men. He was in 12 Angry Men. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Now, the reason why I've picked those three guys specifically is because five people were in the running for Best Supporting Actor, and those three were three of them. From this one film? From this one film. None of them won, but there was one guy from the Kane Mutiny, one guy from the Barefoot Contessa, and then three from On the Waterfront. Wow. Uh, The female lead in this one would be... And introducing Eva Marie Saint. Yeah, her Wikipedia page is still scrolling. I have I looked her up while we were watching the film. Yep, uh, she's gotten a primetime Emmy. Uh, she's been in multiple films, TV, TV. She was the she's the femme fatale in Hitchcock's North by Northwest. She is. Hi, mm-hmm. uh, she's still alive mm-hmm. and kind of still acting in that. In 2006, she was Martha Kent, Superman's mom, in the Uh ill-fated Superman Returns, (laughs) which was immediately rebooted into Man of Steel a few years later with Mm -hmm. a different mom. Mm -hmm. And then in 2014, she was in uh, a movie called Winter's Tale, which I do not remember seeing. But But she's still working. Yeah. Good for her. She's, what, 95 now? Mm Mm-hmm. She was acting in her... She's acting in her 90s. That's yeah. impressive. Right. Yeah. So we're looking at to start the screenplay of this one. Well, I talked about the screenplay a little yeah. bit, but I just felt like it was it was lovely to watch a film where the, the dialogue didn't make me want to go drink. Yeah. Now, not every movie can have a, like, high school football coach pep talk... You know, standing up on a pulpit sermon type of thing in it. Like, some movies, it doesn't, like, the characters, it doesn't make sense for that. That's grandstanding. Yeah, but, like, Star Star Wars, you can harp on Star Wars all you want, but Star Wars would feel a little weird if someone did, like, a two-minute soliloquy in the middle of it. It would be weird. That's not the kind of movie it is. Mm -hmm. This movie had one of those, and it was good. Mm -hmm. And it was perfectly placed. Yep. And it didn't. We didn't feel like, wait a minute, this is taking too long. Yeah. And it was absolutely the 1950s version of uh, our indepe- of the Independence Day speech. Yeah. <laughs> and right. it, he killed it. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even Brando. <laughs> right, yeah. Right, right. Right. Brando had his own moment in the car, but... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He had several moments during that, during this film. He, really a lot of different points when, when there was critical... And and they were different. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had good critical moments with the with the female lead. He had good critical moments with his, um, shall we say, his opponents. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and right. with, and the the moment with his brother. And I mean, those well, and those the moment different with character would be girlfriend. Yeah, you know, it was there were a lot of different parts there. That, so mm-hmm. I think it gave him opportunity. To be all of the different parts of his character mm-hmm. and to portray yeah. it well. There is uh, one little exchange that's just kind of throwaway lines, but mm-hmm. as someone that does writing, little lines like that make me really happy because it was one of the mob guys saying to one of the honest workers, "When I'm dead, you'll you'll know how good of a friend I was." And the guy responds with, "Why don't you get dying and prove it?" <laughs> mm. Right. Right. And it's that 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 just makes me happy from a little like that's a little throwaway line, but that would have made me real happy to write something like that. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So definitely 
screenplay knocked this one out of the park. Right. We have three other things to talk about, though, and... Was one of them costumes? One of them is costumes. That always makes me happy. And I actually was noticing during the film that, of course, the mob guys in the, you know, the camel hair coat or the, the... they look like the suits. What are, we've described are as the hundred and fifty dollars suits. Hundred and fifty dollars suits, which they at that time would have been a really nice a suit. boatload of money. <laughs> but it was interesting because they, the mob boss guys, were dressed very dapper. They were very clean, very sharp. Their suits fit well. Um, one of the attorneys in the courtroom scene, his, they made his jacket look like he had sloping shoulders and a. His neck looked long, and it well, was, and it was just because of the way the jacket. Yeah, like fit he was an older poorly. guy, and it looked like maybe this was the jacket he had when he first became an attorney. I, it and was the, the lapel was smaller. sloppy, and it just it 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 gives you that visual impression that this guy doesn't care about his clothing or he's not up to speed on fashion. And then we had Marlon Brando's character. His suit who, had a hole in it, and he was, I mean. Almost always dressed in what looked like corduroy pants and a shirt, and he had a a plaid, what looked like a wool jacket. And mm-hmm. this wool jacket literally had some war, worn holes in it, and that looked legitimate. Yeah. And, he, and when he dressed up in his suit coat for the court scene, the suit coat had a tear in the back. Yeah. Back of the shoulder seam. And you think, well, that's probably right, because he wasn't a high-paid guy in the organization yeah. now, he was probably fortunate to have a suit mm-hmm. for the method acting part i wonder if they went out and like found some coats laying around or if like no i kind of want to fly on the wall to figure out how they if it was a costume designer that did it or if marlon brando looked in and was like nah this should have holes in it also, the way that they would put their longshoreman hook over their shoulder yeah. and the way it would rest on the front chest, because he had a hole on the front chest, kind of where a, a logo would be on a polo shirt. Yeah. But that's where this wooden handle would rest there. And so it would get more worn. So it would it would wear out there, and that would make sense. Yeah. So then I it, it felt like the clothing made sense to me. Of course, Eva Marie Saint looked... Angelic she, with her white hair. She's the cleanest person in any of the scenes. You know, they didn't have to put on any fuzzy vignette filters on the cameras. Yeah. Like they did with, um, what was the movie we watched last Deborah time? Deborah Care. Deborah From Here to Eternity. From Here to Eternity. When they would make the female's face all fuzzy and beautiful and we'd have to think love thoughts about them. <laughs> they never did those kinds of tricks with us. Yeah. When we were looking at Eva Marie Saint. And her, her clothes were tailored, but very conservative, which fit her character very yeah. perfectly. Now, it will slightly upset you to hear that costume design was basically the only category that this film was not nominated for anything. Well, because the costumes were not over-the-top they, yeah, glamorous. But this was, again, another year where mm-hmm. like gown designer, like high fashion right. was winning because right. that's what the committee was looking for. Sure. Yeah. Oh, and right. the and while the costumes were well done for the for the characters and mm-hmm. for the story, mm-hmm. there weren't a lot of costumes. No, I mean, every... Marlon Brando had two things he wore. Right. You know. Right. Well, and, and, and the... most of the characters were like that. It wasn't like they had variety of costumes. Correct. Yeah. They and... hit, they hit them right, but yeah, mm-hmm. and it's it would be correct for the time. It's not mm-hmm. the kind of thing where you have five different polos when you go to work. No, you wear your work jacket and your work pants. That's yeah. it. Mm-hmm. And hopefully exactly. you don't smell too bad. Yeah. 
That's right. Unless you're picking fish. All right, next one around, best actor. We already know how good the actor was in this one. We already one. know that Marlon Brando did a bang-up job. We discussed it already a bit at length. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He totally won and should have won and did. Yeah. Uh, Check. Third one we're talking about, cinematography. Looking at the f- actual filming part mm-hmm. of it. Hmm. Well, this was another film, like, uh, From Here to Eternity, that was filmed on location. On location, yep. This and was... you could tell. I mean, the actors and... The, even all the extras, all the longshoremen, you could see their breath. It was cold outside. And this was, they did not do that in a studio because you can't really make it that cold in the studio to see your breath. Yep. This was filmed over 36 days on location in various places in Hoboken, New Jersey, including the docks, workers' slum dwellings, bars, littered alleys, and rooftops. The church used for exterior scenes in the film was the historic Our Lady of Grace, while the interiors were shot at the Church of St. Peter and St. Paul. They did not film on a studio. Nice. I mean, you could tell. Except it, it, the cab scene was in a studio. The cab scene was in a studio. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, three different labor boss men were former professional heavyweight boxers. You mean three of the actors? Three of the actors. Wow. Huh. Because, uh, again, here we thought that was interesting that boxing played, you know, a, a part in... The In the char- third movie of our three, yeah, so far, yeah. Uh, Marlon, uh, Marlon Brando initially turned this role down, and Frank Sinatra was going to take it. No way. Kazan wow. favored Brando because Brando would assure a larger budget. Wow. Because he was a bigger name, and his agent persuaded him. Kazan enlisted Carl Malden to direct and film a screen test of a more Brando-like actor as Terry Malloy in an effort to persuade him. So he got. Actor studio members Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward to do the love scene between Terry and Edie. And based on that, they were able to convince Brando to do it. And that's also wow. why Malden got the part, because Sinatra was pissed and wanted the part of the father. And they were like, now nah, we're giving it to Malden because he helped out so much and he's wow. better at it than you. <laughs> wow. Wow. It w- yeah, I think that would have been not, not right. Yeah. Now. Mm-hmm. We do like the cinematography, and I need to double-check, did that one win or not? Because I have the list. Yeah. Did it win for the filmmaking? Scroll. For the cinematography design, part. Art direction. It won for art direction. That makes and sense, And cinematography. Too. It did. Nice. Well, and Leonard Bernstein did the music. Which we do have Bernstein, to talk about, because he Bernstein. was not... He was nominated for Best Musicals, Music Score of a Dramatic or Comedy Picture. Nominated did not win. Hmm. Interestingly enough... Very much of that syncopated West Side Story-ish. Interestingly (laughs) enough, (laughs) I I was... For more things from this year, I was looking. Best song. One of the nominees is Count Your Blessings Instead of Sheep. Huh. From White Christmas by Mm -hmm. Irving Berlin. Mm -hmm. Irving Berlin was not nominated for best scoring of a musical picture. Okay. Well, because D didn't do scoring? Well, I... We don't know. Well, I mean, he had the music in there. Uh, but there it's was... different to score the music that's behind as opposed to yeah. writing songs. There was something in here about uh, Bernstein's, uh, what he did with it. And I think it was that this is his only like film that was not first on Broadway. Oh. Because that's what he's usually known for. Well, because he did musical theater. Yeah. West Side Story, Peter Pan, Candide, Wonderful Town, On the Town, On the Waterfront. On the Waterfront? That, that, that this one. Yeah. Yeah. 
first conductor to give a series of television lectures on classical music, starting in 1954 and continuing until his death in nineteen in 1990. I remember those. Did you watch any of those? What was that? When he would do, he would have the orchestra and then he would talk about the music and then have the orchestra play. Watch those? No. Yeah. I'm old. I watched him. But of course, but I had a dad that liked classical music. He's on for three film scores on the town, on the waterfront, and West Side Story. So two of them are his musicals and Mm -hmm. one is this one. Yeah. Uh, he's got a lot of stuff. He he's done some things. He's done a couple of things. Oh geez. So this, I mean, this music was, uh, I think, very definitely of this time period. Yeah, very definitely. And it was the nice kind of obvious where if I have my back turned, I can tell what's basically going on in the scene if there's music going on. Right, right. Uh, other use of sound was also good in this one that we should talk about because there was there were two important parts where sound got in the way of the dialogue in interesting ways. Because mm-hmm. one of them was a character goes, what the... And then there's a honk. He's going to say, what the... And we don't know what it... We what don't it, know which four-letter word was going to go in there. But there's a but honk. But there's a car honk perfectly placed yeah. so as not to upset the censors yeah. who were very active at that time. And the other one is when Marlon Brando is, we assume, confessing to the female lead about what he knows and what he's allowed to happen and things like that. But it's covered up basically entirely by boat sounds. Boat, big, big motor sounds. Big whistles and motors, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we can see her reacting to it, and we can see he's still talking, but we hear, I think there's one part where it cuts and he's like, and I tried to or something like that. But we don't hear any details of what mm-hmm. he's telling her. We just see her reactions. And that was an interesting choice. Mm-hmm. It was, and it worked because of the small bit of dialogue that he had with the priest just before. Yeah. Cause so it, it works because you know what he's doing. And yeah. you know what the and conversation is. I, I kind of wonder why that was in there. Because while it's interesting, it does seem a little, it seemed a little out of place. But they're also showing us things instead of telling us things. Which is and another thing that we've complained about a little bit with the previous movies. We've complained about that a lot. Yeah. And I think that it was just a, a, a different filming technique yeah. that I doubt had yeah. been employed yeah. before. And it's a good one because we like movies to show us things because if we're going to have this big TV, darn it, we're going to use it. Right, right. If we just wanted to hear people tell us things, we'd, read, we'd listen to audiobooks. Oh, I'd like that. Yeah, I know, right? But <laughs> this isn't an audiobook podcast. Okay. All right. So that is the wrap on this one. We tell you more about the plot, but boy, is this a good movie. It's you should watch it. It's a good movie. You should, it's available from the library. It's probably on your favorite streaming service, whatever you pay for. I actually didn't check if this is on Netflix. It's, we, defi- it's definitely on Amazon Prime. Right. Definitely. Mm-hmm. So have we done our homework? We've done our homework. So... We want to thank the Academy for doing its job and thereby pointing us in the direction of quality filmmaking. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.